Hey, what's going on? It's At The Letters, presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Today is Thursday, August 19th. My name's Arden Zwelling. He is Ben Nicholson-Smith, and our producers this week are Andrew Norton and Nick Andrade. Ben, last we recorded, the Blue Jays were on a high. They had gone, what, like 9-2 and two on that triumphant homestand, returned to Rogers Center, amazing crowds, tons of good vibes playing well everything was going great they go out on the road they go through anaheim and seattle and washington and they go three and six and they're losing and the bullpen is blowing games and people are upset and the playoff odds which had been going up now plummeting back down to earth do you think that the blue jays are as good as they looked on the homestand do you think that they are as bad as they've looked over the last week or do you think that they are somewhere in between well, I mean, as you know, Arden, they are somewhere in between. I think that's the the only answer that you could reasonably have. It would be overly reactive to say that they're out of it because of this stretch. It would also be to deny the facts to suggest that this wasn't an absolutely awful road trip. I mean, to go out there under the West Coast kind of started okay, but, you know, they went three and six overall. That's bad. They lost their starting center fielder, a guy who was having a great offensive season. Also really bad. There go 10 days on the calendar. Bad. You're trying to make up ground. Like none of this is good. It was a really, really bad road trip. They still have a shot, but their chances are diminished and their roster is worse. Yeah, the margins are just getting really thin for the Blue Jays here uh, as they look up in this wild card race with several teams ahead of them, you know, four, four and a half games out, depending on when you listen to this. The runway is just short to either land this plane or get it off the ground, depending on your perspective. And, And when you look at it, 43 games remaining to get to 90 wins, and it might take more than 90, but to get to 90 wins... You can really only lose 16 more times. You only have 16 more losses to play with. So you can't be coughing them up to the Washington Nationals, to a team that traded half its roster at the deadline and then just went into a tailspin and they lost seven in a row coming into that Jays series. They were like two and 13 since the deadline. They're not playing for anything. It's not a club that you can be losing two in a row to right now if you're the Toronto Blue Jays. And look, the remaining schedule for the Blue Jays, there's a lot of Orioles in there. Um, There's a lot of Detroit Tigers in there, although the Detroit Tigers are a better team than maybe their record would indicate since the beginning of may the tigers are 50 and 45 and since the beginning of may the blue jays are 52 and 44 so the blue jays have only been a win and a half better so maybe these teams are a bit more even than than we think but still that's a team that isn't playing for postseason contention right now it's a team the blue jays should beat you need to win those games against the lowly teams because you know the white Sox going to play you tough you know tampa and oakland and new york are going to play you tough. So the Blue Jays can't really mess around anymore. There's just not that much more margin for error this season. There's really not. I mean, even when they were heading west, there was very little margin for error. And they used what little they had by going three and six. I mean, it was bad. They they lost winnable games. And the Wednesday game, the, the last game of that national series, you thought, okay, maybe they're going to find a way to you know go four and five and I was writing the story at this point while you and Shy were were in studio and I'm sitting there kind of writing, you know, four and five under normal circumstances, like on a three city trip. That's not the worst thing. But to lose that game in the way that they did with Brad Hand blowing it, 
just totally squandering that comeback on the home runs from Semyon and Dickerson. Obviously, it changes the entire feel of that trip. To split with the Nationals, okay. I mean, it's not great, but okay. To get swept by the Washington Nationals at this point in the season, when you head a decent performance from Barrios and you head four home runs, you have to win that game. I don't think either one of us would sit here and say like, must win games like it's it's baseball there's no you know and until you get to the wild card game that's like what a must win game is you know there's not not such a thing on august the 18th but man like it, it was it was just a really bad road trip and they really missed a chance to do something special build on something special yeah and it's not over 43 games to go you gotta make up four four and a half wins in the stand like that's incredibly doable there are there's more than two-thirds of an entire 2020 season still to be played right so there's still a lot of time and there's still a lot of games as i said against baltimore and i didn't even mention like you got two series against the minnesota twins who aren't playing for anything now either like the Blue Jays can absolutely qualify for the postseason. They can absolutely be a playoff team. They're just going to have to earn it. I don't think there's going to be any backing into the playoffs this year. I don't think there's yeah. going to be any, oh, we finished with 88 wins, but we snuck in because these other teams collapsed. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Blue Jays are going to have to push their win total up probably above 90 to get there. So they're going to have to start playing better. And you can't score 10 runs every night, even with this offense, but particularly with George Springer out. You're not going to score 10 runs every night. So the run prevention has to be better. And it has to start with the bullpen. Blue Jays starting pitchers have been very strong this year. Although we are seeing like Robbie Ray's velocity go down a little bit. We're seeing Hunjin Ryu's effectiveness go down. A little bit. Obviously, Jose Barrios had a rough outing a couple outings ago. Alec Manoa didn't look so great in his last outing. So it's been a little spotty lately, but it's hard to pile the sort of run prevention blame on the starting pitchers for this club. Like it's very clearly an issue with the bullpen. And it's kind of hard to see how it's going to get too much better in the near term. Yeah, it's been rough. I mean, those. Games on that last road trip, a lot of them can be directly connected to the bullpen. You think about Adam Simber getting into trouble. You think about Brad Hand walking in a run in Seattle and then allowing those two home runs in Washington. Trevor Richards even had a hiccup against the Mariners. Like these guys who had kind of risen to the top of Charlie Montoyo's depth chart disappointed. And so now you look at that depth chart. Rafael Dolis, DFA, okay, that makes sense. Tim Mazik comes back from injury. That's a slight nudge in the right direction, but the reality is they're more than one arm away, and, and they only have one arm right now that they can really trust in high leverage, and that's a guy whose slider just isn't as effective. It doesn't have the same bite. You know, Jordan Romano is still throwing 100, and he's putting it over the plate, so good for him. This is the best, you know, single pitch that you could have as a major league reliever is a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, but it also helps if you have a good secondary pitch. And since the you know last couple months, for whatever reason, whether it has to do with sticky stuff or something else entirely, he just hasn't had that slider to the same extent. So that's to take nothing away from Jordan Romano. He's been the best reliever. He's really been the only reliever from start to finish this year who's been trustworthy. So as it relates to Romano, as you went down that road, looked at it today, he pitched twice on the road trip. Pitched once against the Angels, pitched once against Seattle, two innings. That's the one guy you can trust. He is by far your best reliever right now, even with a you know decreased effectiveness on his slider, which I agree that pitch has not been the same and you're seeing it get fouled off a lot more. But I don't think that Jordan Romano is just going to develop another new out pitch overnight. 
He's working with what he has. And look, he is as the most trustworthy guy in that bullpen. But we've seen Charlie Montoya wants to save him for ninth inning save opportunities. The problem is those aren't coming. And the ball isn't getting to him in those spots because games are being blown in the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning by the much less trustworthy relievers who are pitching in front of him. Do you think that Charlie Montoyo, the Blue Jays in general, need to widen the interpretation of when they use Jordan Romano? Do you think they need to use him more frequently? Because looking back on this trip, you played nine games, your best reliever only pitched twice. Feels like you could be using him a bit more. That's probably fair. I mean, you know, as you look ahead to this Tiger series, he's probably in a position, especially after having had, you know, a relative break to pitch a couple times. White Sox come in right after that. He can probably pitch a couple times there. So I would think in the next week you use him at least three times, maybe four, you know, and then it's a question of how you fill those other innings in around him. And it's just been such a challenge. I think that as much as, you know, there are ways that the Blue Jays have have made some questionable bullpen decisions at times this season, but, you know, ultimately it, it does come down to the kind of personnel you have and, and partly this is connected to the pieces that have been assembled. So therefore, that's on the front office. Partly there were injuries too, right? Even the guys that they've acquired since the deadline, Soria hurt, Meza was hurt for a while. Pearson just hasn't been able to come back. So, you know, where that leads, I don't know. It's a tough thing to, whenever you start talking about health, it's hard to say, you know, exactly where to pin that blame. But I wouldn't put it at the feet of Charlie Montoyo. I'm not saying you are, but I wouldn't put that at the feet of Charlie Montoyo when it comes to how this team has underperformed. And from a roster construction you know, standpoint, like if you can predict health and you can predict when players are going to be available and when they're going to be injured, you need to be working in a front office. Like you need to be having a very important job with an MLB club because nobody can reliably predict that stuff. You look at this bullpen right now since the beginning of June, almost a full win below replacement. An ERA of 4.7 uh, might actually even be higher than that now after Brad Hand blew up the other night. I mean, the Blue Jays have lost a dozen games that they have led in the seventh inning or later. So if the Blue Jays miss out on the playoffs by three games, four games, two games, I don't think you're going to look back at the National Series, but I think you can look back at the greater season as a whole and pick two, three, or four of those blown leads after the seventh inning and say, that's it. That's where the season was. Because if the Blue Jays get the ball over the goal line on five of those games, half those games at six, this season looks so much different. And their record looks so much different. And some of those wins have probably come at the expense of teams like the Tampa Bay Rays and the Boston Red Sox, who they're looking up at in the standings. And that's really probably... If the most likely thing plays out and the Blue Jays miss the playoffs, and that is the most likely outcome right now, I think that's what we're going to be looking back at is those dozen games and any more to come after this as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a tough one for Jays players and for Jays fans and coaches to sit with and think, man, they were close and that's cost them so far. We'll see where it leads. I mean, as we look ahead, a couple weeks ago, we would be talking, people might ask me on Twitter, like, do you think the Blue Jays are making the playoffs? And I would say yes. Like, I thought they were going to. I thought they were trending that way when they headed on that road trip on the heels of a 9-2 and homestand, roster looking great, Springer healthy. Like, wow, they looked great. I thought they were making it. Now, 
We don't know what's going to happen, but honestly, I don't think so at this point. And that's, you know, what the, the odds would say, you know, and, and I might be wrong again. Maybe next week I'll have a totally different opinion. But, you know, at this point, it looks tough right now. It looks tough. Just before we leave the bullpen, how much of an impact do you think a Nate Pearson or a Joaquin Soria who should be back this weekend or shortly after that, or a Julian Merriweather who began a rehab assignment Dunny Eden on Wednesday, how much of an impact do you think those guys can realistically have on this bullpen between now and the end of the regular season? I'll start with Merriweather. I think about three innings. Almost as many as he threw in April. (laughs) And they were great. (laughs) I mean, it's just realistically, right? Like, let's say two or three innings from Merriweather. Soria, yeah. I mean, Soria could slot in and be one of those trustworthy guys. That's certainly what his track record would tell us, is that he's done that for most of his career. And then with Pearson, I don't know what to expect, honestly. Like, I think that, you know, he's he's pitched once as we record this at AAA, seemed to go well. They're obviously being very deliberate when it comes to how many games he pitches in. I don't foresee, you know, back-to-backs like next time out or something like that. And I don't know where you land on this one, Arden, but to me with Pearson... Like you kind of need to play it slow. Whatever needs exist in your major league bullpen, I don't think it's fair to him after one, two rehab assignments just to rush him up and say, you're the savior for our major league bullpen that's you know been a, a source of problems for, for months. Yeah, you've got to get him throwing strikes and in the zone consistently is the big thing with him because in that first rehab outing that he had, he was getting strikes but he wasn't necessarily throwing strikes, if you know what I mean. So you need him to just be on the plate a bit more consistently. So he's going to make another AAA appearance. He's probably going to make another two or three, honestly, until he's looking right. And the Blue Jays feel like they can bring him up because, look, AAA hitters will expand, they'll chase, uh, you know, they'll be more aggressive in the big leagues if, if hitters know you aren't that consistent with your command and your location and you're missing. They're fine to wait you out and get you into those action counts, right? The 2-1, 3-1, you're getting a heater. We can hit 99 in the big leagues because we're really good. And now all of a sudden you got rockets going the other direction. So, yeah, we'll we'll see with him. And, yeah, I mean, Joaquin Soria is a guy who's gotten it done in leverage this year, honestly, like with, with the Diamondbacks, like strong FIPS, strong peripherals. In leverage, I'd expect, um, like, he's throwing and he's pain-free, so I'd expect as soon as he's ready to go, he probably even skips a rehab assignment. I just come straight back to this to this bullpen and is facing leverage for this club. And yeah, with Merriweather, I mean, who knows? Uh, but like you, you mentioned the word like savior, right? And that's almost the unfair thing with whoever comes up of that group is that they're going to be relied on to be the quote unquote savior. And that is like such an unfair position to put any of those guys in considering, you know, they haven't faced like sorry has faced big leaguers recently, but Pierce and Merriweather haven't faced big leaguers, haven't pitched in the majors for quite some time now. Um, and just remember all the, quote unquote saviors that came before them right like remember when we were just like oh you know when when ryan barucki comes off the il he's gonna be a yeah he's been optioned we're like oh well aj cole's on the taxi squad so like they'll just select him and he dies on the 60 day it's like oh wait but like patrick murphy has really good stuff and this wicked breaking ball and he's gonna uh, yeah he's in washington's triple a club right now okay okay but like we'll just get tyler chatwood back in the zone at dfa but rafael delise he could be the 2020 guy again at dfa like all these things that we say about these guys are going to come up and help the bullpen yeah 
about. It's relievers, man. It's volatile. Things change. You have to see it. And it's just not going to be fair if Nate Pearson shows up in Toronto in a week's time and it is here's the guy who's going to save the bullpen. Is he capable of that? Absolutely. Does he have potential? Upside? Wicked stuff? Absolutely. Guy hasn't pitched in the big leagues in a while. Hasn't had his command this year. Has dealt with a lot of injury troubles don't put that savior thing on them like let's just see how it plays out it's going to be a lot for whoever comes up 100% clearly they believed in this group going into the season for lots of different reasons and those relievers uh, as a collective have underperformed and it's made a difference in the standings here's what this kind of gets at for me we can wrap up the first half on this I was talking about this with Jamie Campbell yesterday when we were doing uh, the the Blue Jays central work and Jamie brought this up and I was like, this is a great point. Like there's two things that I believe are true about the Blue Jays and they seem contradictory, but I don't think they're necessarily mutually exclusive. It is that this team is really fun and really frustrating. There are a lot of fun things about this team, but then there's so much about it that is frustrating. (laughs) for a fan as well. There's all the bullpen meltdowns that that we have been talking about. There is historically poor offensive performance in late and close situations. There are the times when you see mediocre teams like throw out some, you know, create a player pitcher who you have never heard of. And he goes like six innings of two run ball against this club and leaves like seven cookies on the plate. The guys just miss. There are defensive lapses and base running errors. It's a fun team and it's a frustrating team. And I don't know if it's more of one than the other. A hundred percent true. I mean, to me, it kind of seems like the Blue Jays would be a great second favorite team to have, you know, like you're like a (laughs) big Brewers fan. And then every night you just like check up on your Jays. You're like, oh, I get to see some Vladdy highlights or I get to see like this farm system that they have or, you know, Bo Bichette's making great plays and his hair's flying around. But when Bo Bichette is striking out five times and he's got shin contusions, you're watching the Brewers and you're watching them do their thing. So I totally agree. Fun, but frustrating. And we've seen more frustrating than fun in the last little while. Yeah, that's uh, that's for sure. We're going to step away. But when we continue, we'll do Keeping It Light. We should talk about George Springer, obviously, and, and his injury. And uh, maybe we'll, we'll give a little, uh, we'll give some flowers to Teoscar Hernandez, who is on uh, just this Edwin tear right now, which is really fun to watch. All that and so much more when we continue on At The Letters. It continues on at the letters Arden's Welling, Ben Nicholson Smith, our producers Andrew Norton and Nick Andrade, and it is time now for Keeping It Light, presented by Miller Light. I want to uh, remind everybody you can submit ideas or even just general questions, concerns, comments, whatever you got, to at the letters at sportsnet.ca. Ben, don't look now, but like September, right around the corner, it is almost the final month of the MLB season. September is a really interesting month. It'll be a little different this year because rosters are only expanding to 28. So it's not like you're going to have all these random 40-man dudes around. But it is a time when you see 
teams start managing things a little bit differently, particularly if you're well out of the race, you're giving playing time to different guys, guys perhaps maybe start playing a little bit more for their stat sheet and for their baseball reference page than maybe for the best team first thing to do. Don't know if we can expect that from the Blue Jays because they are obviously still in contention, still trying to hang around in the wild card race. But as things stand right now, then in the month of September, who on the Toronto Blue Jays roster do you believe is going to lead this team in home runs? Well, they've got some good candidates to choose from. Uh, you could make a case for a lot of guys here. I'll just keep it simple, though. I think Vlad Jr. is their best hitter. I think he's their most powerful hitter. I think he's going to do it. He's impressed all year long, deservingly so, with, with the power that he shows on a consistent, consistent basis. I know he slumped a little bit, but we've seen signs of him really emerging from that slump with some hard hit balls. I just think on talent, you know, you zoom out from this little so-called slump, He's hitting like 300, 400, 600 this year. If it weren't for Otani, who obviously will and should win the MVP, then Vladdy would be the MVP. He's that good. So I'll go with him. I, I think that he'll lead the team with uh, home runs any any given month, including September. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the same guy who has uh, two home runs in August, three in his last 26 games, span That's of 116 right. plate appearances. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has three extra base hits in the month of August. Obichet has two. A little bit of fatigue. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if Vlad can have like a, a late season sort of resurgence through, uh, you know, after the slump that he's experienced. I'm going Randall Grichik. Oh. Yeah. Playing time about to go up. George Springer out of the lineup. And Randall Grichik, a guy who has classically had very strong endings to his season for his career. The August OPS for Randall Grichik is 872, and the September slash October OPS is 781. Those are his two best months of any month in his career. This is a guy who finishes strong, and uh, I think that you're going to see the power come up in a very big way. Like if you break down his career, most home runs hit by month are in August with 37. Second place is September slash October with 30 over the course of his career. So Randall Grinchuk is my choice. You know, the odds would say that, um, you know, Grichuk is, is up against some steep competition here. But it's interesting because you look at at just how important a piece Grichuk is. And I think he's often overlooked within the Blue Jays fan base because he's not necessarily as exciting as a 22-year-old Vlad Jr. But there's still room for these guys who are good players, who can play some center field, who can play some right field, who can give you, you know, some power that he certainly has legitimate power. He has ended up being a very important player for this team on a season that George Springer's been hurt so much. You want to have Randall Grichuk on your roster instead of having to go to a Josh Palacios and potentially overexpose someone who's not quite ready necessarily for that higher responsibility. Totally. And you mentioned it. George Springer obviously uh, has been injured, as any Blue Jays fan knows now. Leapt for a ball at the uh, center field wall in Seattle. Came down hard on both of his legs, but uh, his, his right leg took the brunt of it. A sprain of the right ankle and then a sprain of the right knee, grade one, which is, I guess, the best you can have. Or strain, I should say, of the right knee. Grade one is the best you can have. So that's 
I don't know, it's good, I guess. But, uh, you know, in the context of a season where George Springer missed the first three months, came back and played like 50-some games, and after a very short kind of acclimation period, like just set the world on fire and was like putting up career-high numbers as a guy whose career highs are extremely high, uh, was just a massive piece of this offense, setting a tone atop the batting order. Great plate approach and plate appearances uh and now the blue jays going to be without george springer for an unknown amount of time i mean what are the biggest impacts near term and long term of this injury then man they're significant they are i mean let's start near term i think you know as, as you mentioned he's been so good offensively he's been just such a productive offensive player winning back-to-back player of the week awards not that I fixate on player of the week awards or anything like that. But if you do it twice in a row, probably a good sign that you're playing some really good baseball and Springer was. So he was really showing why he ended up earning that $150 million contract, why he was the Blue Jays top target in free agency. And that was a big reason that the Blue Jays were playing so well and that their prospects were so good moving forward. You take that away and it's going to hurt. It's going to make them a worse team. This is one of the reasons that the challenge facing them is so tough. They are worse without George Springer, obviously. So now they are in a position to backfill reasonably well, at least for a medium-term absence, which, you know, let's say for argument's sake, it's three weeks, you know, which we don't know, but let's say it's three weeks. You can have Randall Gritchuk play center field for three weeks, and it's going to be okay. You've also got Corey Dickerson. He has stepped up and done a pretty good job, uh, certainly as a left-handed bat to balance out this batting order a little bit. Kevin Smith comes up, very intrigued to see what he can do, but there's no replacing George Springer. And to expect some combination of Dickerson and Smith, like you're you're hoping that they can hold their own. You're not hoping that they can replicate Springer. No, you don't replace George Springer like you don't replace that absence you just mitigate it right like you just try to make it have as little of an impact as possible because it is going to have an impact because this is one of the best two hitters on the team and over the last four weeks the best hitter yeah we don't even have to like get into like the the numbers and the stats which all like objectively like paint that picture obviously but just if you've watched this team and if you watch the team for the first three months of the season when they were without george springer and then you watch them for the last five six weeks when they had them you just know via the very subjective eye test that this team is different with george springer in the lineup it's longer it's deeper it's more dangerous they benefit from him being on base all day, which is worth something as well, uh, which is to say nothing of his defense in center field, by the way, which was really, really strong for this team. And defense not exactly a strength for this team. And he was impacting that and helping that. This is a guy who put up nearly two wins above replacement in like 50 games, which is not normal and not easy to do. So uh, you're not just going to you know, replace that it is going to be a loss and it is going to hurt your upside and it is going to decrease your potential to produce runs and ultimately your chances of qualifying for the postseason. And it takes away from your your depth that exists. You're more vulnerable to the next injury that might occur. I mean, that's the beauty of when you have this team at full strength, which we saw for, I guess it was about six weeks, maybe maybe <laughs> two months. But, you know, we saw a good stretch of this team where they were basically at full strength and they were so impressive. Like they were a very, very good baseball team. And there were stretches there where your seven, eight, nine might have been Gritchuk, Kirk, and Espinal. And now 
your 789 might be Kevin Smith and Reese McGuire and Otto Lopez. And then what happens if one of those guys pulls a hamstring and, you know, all of a sudden, like the, the trickle down effect really exists. I agree with you that I thought his defense was good this year. It took a while to get a read on it because you needed a bunch of reps to get a, a sense of how he's playing out there. But I thought his defense was good too. I thought his, his base running was good. Like this is obviously, and everyone who's listening knows this, but he was obviously just a very good major league baseball player. And you don't find a lot of those. And and when one goes down, your team is just going to suffer for it. This is uh, probably a better offseason topic, but we can touch on it right now. It's very big picture. But when it comes to George Springer, who is going to be turning 32 next month, first year of a uh, six-year $150 million deal. And uh, as we mentioned like last week, even if George Springer misses the rest of this season, I think the Blue Jays actually got return on investment for the money they're paying George Springer this year, honestly, with just like the two wins that he provided in the 50 games that he's played to this point. Like that, honestly, that is, I would say, pretty good return on investment. But are there long-term concerns here with a center fielder in his 30s who this year, his season basically went spring training oblique injury, late spring training quad injury, two-game return re-aggravation of quad injury, and now ankle and knee injuries after 50 games on the field late in the season. Do you have long-term concerns here with George Springer as he continues to age and play out this contract? I think to some extent you have to, if you're really being honest. I, you know, if if this, let's say he had broken his pinky finger and, well, can't swing a bat, can't play center field, like, that would be less concerning. That would be less concerning than to have leg injuries, which is yeah. and core injuries. I mean, I still think you go into next season with George Springer as your center fielder, obviously, and you have full expectation that he can do it and he can produce. And you're not even really, you know, of course, Randall Gritchick's on the roster as well. So you're covered from that contingency. But I wouldn't necessarily lose sleep over it, assuming he's able to recover fully, which we believe he will. It's a grade one strain. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. You know, going back to this year and how we evaluate it, to me, like I was trending toward saying that this year was, you know, that he was going to make good on that. If this is it for him, I think it's a disappointing year. I think he's fallen short of what the Jays would have wanted. But, um, you know, there's still some time for him to come back. We don't know where it's going to end up. But it it is such a stark contrast from him being on the field to him, him not. No, when when I think about it a bit more, like you do need the surplus in the early years of that six-year contract for the outfielder in his 30s, right? Like you actually need there to be surplus wins. Like you can't just be even like a fair deal in years one and two and even three because you know that years five and six, certainly probably year four, you're going to see some decline and that's what you're paying for. That's free agency, right? Like that's, remember the Russell Martin deal, right? Like looked pretty good for the first couple of years. And then towards the end of it, it was like, oh wait, the taxes do, you know, like here's where we have to pay for that surplus that we got earlier. So actually with a deal like Springer's, you actually probably wanted some surplus this year. So maybe when uh, we frame it like that, I'm going to change my opinion on the fly and say oh, actually no maybe the blue jays didn't get the return on investment that they would have liked to in the first year right yeah I, I think i think that's probably fair and i think you know if he was a free agent this year would he get five times 125 probably not probably i mean not. at the same time you know i i don't think it's a deal to regret either like i i no. think that he's i'm know, not saying we, that yeah. right right and and like once 
you see, as we have seen what Springer can do when he's on the field, like he's so good. Like he's such a good player. So it's not like he went out there and posted like a 690 OPS and everyone's like, oh, can he hit a fastball? Like he can hit a <laughs> fastball. So it's more so, you know, it just didn't add up from a playing time standpoint. And those injuries, you know, just we point to the bullpen because that's what we see. But we never saw like the the games that George Springer never played for this team in yeah. April and May and June, May and, and August at this point, those may have ended up being just as impactful in a lot of ways. No, that's true. If you were handing the bullpen in some of those games that were blown, if you're handing them like a four run lead instead of a two run yep. lead, because George Springer hit a two run shot, maybe that's a bit different. If they had a bit more cushion, the leverage was a little bit lower. Yeah, that could have been impactful as well uh it's really it's just been this like strange season for the blue jays right where they have like these really tough injuries to key pieces like obviously springer and and like you know we we don't really talk enough about kirby yates and just like what role he was going to play on this team and what his loss meant david phelps's loss was like a huge one as well and then you get this like massive run differential and you've got the two like leaders in MLB in position player war in like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Marcus Simeon, plus two top 10 AL starting pitchers in Robbie Ray and Hunjin Ryu, plus like Bo Bichette having like a perfectly obviously he's slumping right now and hurt playing through the shin thing, but perfectly fine season as a young shortstop in this league. And I mean, Teoscar Hernandez doing what he's doing this year, and we're about to talk about him. So many things have gone right, like very high upside right for this team is somewhat remarkable that they are where they are in the standings and kind of looking at some of the harsh realities over these final 43 games and how much is going to have to continue to go extremely right for them to reach the playoffs. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, even like Alec Manoa is probably a leading rookie of the year candidate, you know, <laughs> along with a couple other guys. Like Rosarena's in there. You, you've got some other candidates, but they've had a lot go right, and yet, yeah, here we are. Uh, it's uh, yeah, tested the patience, I'm sure, of a lot of Blue Jays fans lately. Let's talk about Teoscar Hernandez and, and finish on uh, a bit of a, a positive here because Teoscar Hernandez does not get talked about enough. Came back from a minor league demotion in 2019 when it was like, this guy swings and misses too much. He's chasing outside the zone. Like his approach is all messed up. The defense is suspect. Would love to go back and look at some of the takes on Teoscar Hernandez at that point in his career and, uh, you know, check some of those receipts. But uh, he comes back from that minor league demotion and tears it up over the remainder of 2019. And then it's like, okay, is this, you know, another hot streak from a guy who we've seen be streaky before? Is this for real? Let's see you do it again. Comes back in 2020 wins a silver slugger is an MVP candidate and it's okay, but it's a shortened season. We've seen you have streaks before. Is it for real? What does he do? He just shows up in 2021 and is just like, Hey, I'm just a 900 OPS outfielder. Now like, this is just what I am and what I am apparently going to be. I have figured it out at the age of 28 and I'm going to make myself a whole bunch of money and put up a whole bunch of nice stats, probably win another silver slugger this year. Doubtful he's an MVP candidate again this year, but like he's having just as fine of a season as he was in 2020. This is just kind of what Teoscar Hernandez is right now, and we have to give him full marks and full credit for doing this late in his career after being written off a hundred times. And the Toronto Blue Jays, after seeing like, 
Jose Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion and Josh Donaldson and all these guys were like quad A players on the fringes of MLB rosters figure it out in their late 20s into their 30s and have these late career renaissances. It's happened again with Teoscar Hernandez. Here we are again, another living, breathing example of why you cannot write players off at 24, at 25, at 26, when they are struggling to figure it out at the big league level. It doesn't work out for everybody. This is survivorship bias. If you were just looking at those four guys and saying like that's what happens because the vast majority of players don't work out, but this is why you always have to be careful about writing guys off too soon. It's probably the best trade that this front office has made in Toronto. I, I mean, I'm thinking, right, to get Teoscar for a couple of months or Francisco Liriano. Like, it's hard to yeah. do trades a lot better than that. Like, we're kind of, yeah. I know everyone was like joking about the Brad Hand Riley Adams trade. And yep, we can say the Nationals won that one. Pretty <laughs> safe to say Jays lost, Nationals won. Like, okay. But, you know, are, are the Nationals in four years' time going to be talking about Riley Adams as like a cornerstone player on that team? Like, probably not he's probably been non-tendered off the roster by then and yet here we are talking about teoscar hernandez as a consistent all-star someone whose plate approach has evolved and continued to evolve and improve and he's not just this pure power guy he's giving you some great at-bats and taking the ball to all fields along with his power he's never going to be a good base runner i think we're safe in saying that not particularly great uh decisions out there uh, on the bases the outfielding has improved it's still not great but we can spend so much time talking about what a player isn't or or we can appreciate him for what he is and in the case of Tay Oscar he's a great hitter and so I think that it's uh, a big success certainly for for the Jays to have Tay Oscar right here you know I th- I've heard some talk lately about you know would you extend Tay Oscar I think that's an interesting discussion but uh, even just to appreciate him for for where he is in this moment like he's he's having a great season and he he sure looks to be a core piece for this team here's the crazy thing ben like as i was mentioning pre-breakout with teoscar hernandez when he was just kind of like this frustrating quad a player the knock was chases too much expands too much too much swing and miss in his profile all those things are still true like he is still chasing just as much as he ever has like he's still expanding the zone just as much as he ever has he's still just going after crap just as much as he ever has the big difference when you really like kind of mine into his numbers is that he is doing more damage on the pitches that he gets to hit in the zone. So his contact rate on pitches in the zone in 2018 was like 75%. This year it's like 82. His swing and miss on pitches in the zone in 2018 was like 30%. This year it's like 20 he's not being pitched all that differently. His approach hasn't changed in the way you might expect where it's like, oh, he's being more selective and more disciplined. He's just executing better. Like he's just making better contact on good pitches to hit. And so I don't know if that's a confidence thing. I don't know if that's a swing change thing where they found a way to let his barrel be in the zone longer. So he's swinging and missing less at, uh, you know, good pitches to hit. But clearly like that has been the adjustment. It's just doing better damage on the pitches that you do get to hit. And I also like do not know what that means in terms of sustainability. 
because he's still swinging and missing and he's still chasing. So is there an adjustment coming from pitchers who are going to say, well, if you're going to keep chasing, like, and if you're going to just be doing better damage on pitches in the zone, we're going to give you fewer pitches to hit. Uh, and we're going to try to tempt you and try to get you to chase because you've shown that you are. Like, can Teoscar Hernandez keep this up without being more disciplined on pitches off the plate and pitches that he can't do damage on? I don't know. But it's something that I'm going to be very interested to watch play out and evolve as the league starts taking him more seriously as they should because of the numbers that he has put up and starts trying to make adjustments to what he's doing well and force him to adjust back for sure you know he's got certainly some ability that he's shown to make those adjustments um in the course of the last couple of years so that's something to work from we'll see where that leads but yeah with two years remaining before free agency for teoscar like there's i don't think it's now or never i think the jays could certainly wait if they wanted to but I think that you can make a very reasonable case because you're not at this point, you're not going to non-tender him like he's he's reaching. <laughs> you're going to keep him through the full like duration of his years. Right. So you're keeping him through the arb years. Let's call that 11 and 15 million per season. So that's 26 million for the next two years, let's call it. And then let's say you add on two years at Marcelo Zuna money, which is about 18. So you do go 36 plus 26, there's 62. I'd offer him 62 over four. And so I, I'm not sure if that gets it done. I'm not sure if the Jays would do that, but I, I'll throw that out there right now as the offer that I think would be fair for Teoscar. I'll throw this out there as Teoscar's agent is go to year to year, man, get to free sure. agency. If you believe you can keep doing this and you have confidence and trust in your approach and that you're gonna stay healthy because you're working as hard as possible off the field, go year to year don't yep. do these guys any favors what are you doing get the free agency as a 900 ops outfielder uh why wouldn't you do look at what george springer got in free agency obviously different track records but go get your money go get paid for teoscar hernandez in particular is a guy who wasn't drafted like didn't you know, get that that bonus system, like a guy who had a, a very, very meager signing bonus out of the Dominican Republic and a guy who's grinded like a decade to get to where he is now and had to put in all the work and, and all the effort and determination that it takes to, against all odds, get to where he is now. Bet on yourself. Yeah. I mean, he he's Go get in a bag. good position. He is in a good position right now, right? But um, it's risky. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Sometimes and you got to take risks. Sure. Essentially, he's in a no-lose spot right now. Let's touch on this very quickly before we go. Uh, Otto Lopez and Kevin Smith, both up. Um, you know, Lopez, a very intriguing young prospect in this organization who has like, just hit everywhere he has gone. Not a ton of pop, but uh, you know, a useful player, I think. And then Kevin Smith, a guy who in another organization probably would have been in the majors by now, really, like with the year that he was having at AAA, another organization that had more of a need than the Blue Jays did to this point. He's finally up. Guy who like has raked a AAA. Um, if you're a Blue Jays fan and you follow the system, you know like the peaks and valleys that he's been through in his career and the swing changes and overhauls that he's been through. But clearly something's working for him now. And he is here. And it was just kind of interesting diving into his numbers a little bit yesterday ahead of Blue Jays Central. Uh, they're like, they're very good, like, on the surface level, he's got like 46 extra base hits, three, two games. Like it's great, but you actually look into it. He has really strong numbers with runners on base and really strong numbers in high pressure situations. Kevin Smith this year has a triple a, a 10, 22 OPS with runners in scoring position and two outs and a 1207 OPS in late and close situations. It's impressive 
for a young player at a pretty high level in AAA facing some pretty advanced pitching to see that he has executed that well in, in high-pressure situations. So be interesting to see how he can kind of translate things to the big league level. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I mean, the Jays as a team have not been good in those situations. So if that's something that Kevin Smith can tap into, that'd be great. I think it's good to see these guys up here, not you know in a different way than it was in 18 or 19 where the team was just not good and so at that point the young guys were the future now it's more so hey the team is good they're competitive the last road trip notwithstanding this is a good baseball team and now they have some young players who are being asked to contribute to this good baseball team and i think that's a really cool way for players to arrive in the major leagues they learn a lot on the fly in those situations there are a lot is being asked of them but certainly in the case of lopez and smith they really performed at double a AA and triple a to earn their way here and we'll see what they can do they certainly Lopez is already on the 40 man Smith was going to have to be added this offseason anyway so he was he was going to add the be added to the 40 man at some point and here he is hell yeah they've performed Otto Lopez in uh, nearly 300 minor league games 380 on base wow this year between double a and triple a 398 on base he has reached base one way or another he has taken his walks and he hasn't struck out a ton you're not going to see a lot of pop out of Otto Lopez Kevin Smith for sure. This guy has some power in his bat. Uh, it was an 89 mile an hour average exit velocity in the minors, which is like pretty impressive. Like you think about Alejandro Kirk, who like hits the ball as hard as anybody, was 91 miles an hour. So Kevin Smith at 89, like it's impressive. Mike Gabe Moreno's was like 87, 88. So he's hitting the ball very hard. There's definitely some swing and miss in his profile as well. And you're going to see him strike out, but he'll, he'll show you some pop. Otto Lopez, probably not as much, but a guy who's just reached base at a very high clip throughout the minor league. So that shows a, an advanced approach, a disciplined approach, a selective approach. It's going to be very interesting to see how these guys cut it in the majors. One more thing that actually just popped into my mind now. What does this mean for Kevin Biggio, who is technically on the injured list like he's currently on a 20-day rehab assignment but is he not just essentially on a phantom option while earning big league play like does this kind of suggest to you the fact that he is playing rehab games at AAA right now and yet lopez and smith have been promoted in advance of him while he's still on rehab like is this essentially a demotion for kevin biggio Put it this way, the thought occurs. The thought occurs. And same with Danny Jansen, for that matter, honestly. Put it this way. If in the case of of Jansen, Freese McGuire was takes a foul ball off his arm, he can't go. Like I think Jansen is activated, like relatively quickly. I think that that's, you know, they're going to he's he's ready enough for that, I, I would guess. We'll see exactly when he's activated. Maybe it happens to be September 1st. You know, Biggio, kind of similar thing, right? Like he certainly has not performed this year as well as he has in years past i mean we've talked about that at length on atl and the reality is he's not trusted as much he's not producing as much and it makes all the sense in the world to take a look and see what these guys can do there's probably less urgency because of santiago espinal but to me the moment biggio is ready i'd dfa brave aquilera and say thanks a lot man see you later so biggio has been on minor league rehab for like a week now is the yeah. thing so I would assume that physically he's ready. He's playing nine innings in the field at third base. He doesn't have a hit yet on, on minor league rehab. It's 0 for 11 with five walks. 
so like a very Kevin Biggio uh, slash line of like a zero batting average, but a 353 on base. Yeah. Uh, and there's a, a bunch of swing and miss and strikeouts in there as well. Obviously, the smallest sample of small samples, like 17 plate appearances. But you have to assume that he is physically ready to return to the majors now. And the Blue Jays have obviously had an opportunity to add him, but have taken two other guys. So I guess what you're saying is that if you were in Kevin Biggio's shoes or Danny Jansen's shoes um, and the team came to you and they said, hey, look, either we can option you to triple a or we can put you on big league il and you'll still earn your pay and your service time i guess you're you're saying you know which option you would take if that was presented to you oh 100 yeah. big league pay and big league service time those sound great what an awesome great. combination yeah of course you take that anytime i i don't know exactly what's happening behind the scenes but i agree with you you know at this point You'd think a weekend, like maybe they want to get Biggio a base hit first or see him make some co hard contact first. That's entirely possible and plausible, but at some point soon, you would presume that he would be ready. Interesting stuff. Plenty more intrigue to go in this Blue Jays season. 43 games remaining. Club's going to try to make a charge for playoffs, put this uh, woeful road trip behind them, get back in the win column, and uh, give us some more interesting stuff to talk about down the stretch, and we'll be there for that. I want to thank our producers, Andrew Norton and Nick Andrade. I want to thank you all for listening as always. He's Ben. I'm Arden. We'll talk to you next time on At The Letters.